Good morning, everyone. I'm Reverend Wendy Silvers, and you have arrived at the Awakened Mother podcast, a series of dialogues with leading edge teachers, moms, activists, spiritual leaders, scientists, all in service to empowering moms and those who mother in living a life of freedom, fulfillment, and joy. These are uncensored dialogues. So the information that you are going to hear is not funded by anyone or fueled by anything but the desire to speak truth. And I'm really delighted uh, to have uh, Amy Bond with me this morning. Amy Bond is someone that I've known throughout the years um, with our work in the state of California in terms of parental rights and children's rights and setting things um, straight regarding the legislation that's happening. And she's a lovely, wonderful human. And she's the co-founder and president of PERC, Protection of the Educational Rights of Kids, which was founded in 2019. PERC is a bipartisan nonprofit that advocates for civil rights and freedoms with particular focus on protecting children. PERC represents tens of thousands of parents and children across the state. PERC meets with legislators, lawyers, schools, school boards, boards of supervisor, superintendents, and more advocating uh, for our children and also um, informing and educating parents on their right to refuse and their own power to take effective and decisive action. As an activist leader, Amy speaks across the state on these issues, encouraging and teaching people to protect their children and families, which is certainly um, something that I am completely devoted and dedicated to, both in my individual work and with the Million Mamas movement. So thank you, Amy, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Wendy. It's so good to see you. And I'm so happy to be here with you and so glad this, this is going to be an uncensored conversation. <laughs> for sure. For sure. There was just no way. I remember I had uh, I had hosted an online video series and I had this experience. I believe it was uh, Birthing a New World uh, is one of the online series that I produce and host. And uh, there was a huge scuttlebutt that unfolded um, regarding um, some of the guests on the show. And I remember feeling so uncomfortable and out of integrity with myself, with my own values regarding truth, because I believe that knowledge is power and truth allows people to be informed. So they make, a, they make choices from a function of heightened awareness. So uh, it's really important. And your work, you know, Amy, you and your work and your husband, you know, I mean, you're just, I would love for people that maybe somewhat new that are listening to this, that, that know of the work that you've done, but don't know what led you to do this work. Can you speak a little bit to that? Yes. Um, and again, I'm just so grateful for the work that you do as well. Wendy and speaking truth and, you know, having this, having an audience and just sharing your, uh, your heart. We've had many private conversations that, you know, found that we found that we were very aligned and similar on even how we think and some of our paradigms. So yeah. I appreciate being with you. Uh, so, yeah. So 
really, um, what led, what has led us to this work? What has led uh, me? I think it's been everything in my life. You know, it's funny. I had an interview yesterday and I thought, okay, well, we moved to California in 2018. And that is true. We moved here right on time for all <laughs> things happening. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, but even before that, I, when you asked the question just now, it just made me think there are so many things in my life where I've realized even as a teenager or in my 20s, um, in my 30s, that I really feel like it's prepared me for now. And, mm. you know, some of that, you know, early on in my teenage years, I was a leader for this thing or that thing. But I didn't quite understand what it meant to be a leader. I was just, you know, 17, trying to, uh, you know, get a scholarship, yeah. right? Yeah. So I'm the president of FBLA or whatever club it was. And those were just clubs. And they didn't really have as much meaning or importance as what today is. But those were the beginnings of trying to learn how to work with people, how to set goals, um, and trying to fine tune what's in my heart and follow mm -hmm. that calling. So I think that it all culminated, though, um, in 2018, when we moved to California from Texas. At the time, I don't know if I've told you this, Wendy, but at the time, we had actually, I'd been in a car accident with my husband and my, our daughter, and I had a severe uh, brain injury, concussion. It lasted mm -hmm. for like almost a year and a half, two years. You know, lots of issues with that. It caused some cognitive decline, um, cognitive impairment. Yeah, I couldn't have conversations like this. So it was really, really a difficult time and circumstance when we actually moved to California. And yet moving to California, it was a culture shock in the sense of what was happening with parental rights and children and families. And I was introduced early on to SB 277 at the time, which, um, as you know, of course, had implications for school-aged children related to vaccines and medical exemptions. And so then, you know, really, there was just this journey that started to happen um, out of the blue, just completely out of the blue in 2018. This random person, we were looking for a house at the time. He was a real estate agent. I still haven't met him to date. But <laughs> He sent an email to my husband and I and said, I don't know if you know about this SB 277, you know, these things happening in California, but if you have children and he just, he basically gave us an alert and warned us of what was going on here. And so I was so, um, it was just like, it was like dropped from heaven almost There's something happening. It just got us on, you know, on this path. And then um, California introduced SB 276 in 2019. And in the very beginning, I knew nothing about what it meant to go to the Capitol. What does it look like to go to a protest? You know, I had never been to a protest like that yeah. before. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know what it was like to actually have conversations with senators or legislators or anybody about these important things. All I knew in that moment, you know, January, February of 2019 was I had to do something and I couldn't not speak up. I couldn't not, I couldn't sleep at night knowing that they were going to try, you know, these laws were going to try to, you know, kick my own children out of school. Um, it could impact so many other children in California. And I just, you know, that feeling when you just know you have to do something. And so I'm, I've never been the person who sits back, big, sits back and just lets everybody else do it. I'm more of one of those that are like, okay, here's the plan. Let's do it. Let's go. And then I just, I put a hundred percent into what I, whatever I feel like I need to be doing. 
Um, so that was kind of the beginning. It was the first crossroads in this. And I'll tell you, the first time up at the Capitol, I went to a hearing, some random hearing, and I went up to the microphone and said, I oppose this bill or whatever the, you know, con the, the moment was. And there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people up there, parents, grandparents, all these different backgrounds doing the same thing. And what I saw was that as these people were trying to put their heart out there, defend their children, protect their children, speak to those that were making these policies, um, those who were listening were not listening. They oh, weren't yeah. hearing the people. They weren't understanding that as a policymaker, as a lawmaker, they were doing something that was gonna be very harmful. And everyday people like myself were up at the Capitol, you know, taking trips with my husband or by myself, not knowing anybody and mm -hmm. knowing that there's something wrong here. Something is happening that we have to be at this crossroads. So I think early on, there's just this beginning of under starting to understand that, that they weren't listening, right? And they weren't listening to the people. And I felt by the second hearing, by the third, you know, time I went up to the Capitol that I was meant to be a leader here. I had this distinct feeling, I think I need to lead. I think I need to help. I think I need to do something that not only protects my children, our children, but actually can protect all of California children. So kind of early on, that was where my heart was. I started to, you know, feel this, you know, I guess the universe moving me towards getting involved, right? And I'm just an everyday mom, you know, I, I was, you know, full-time mom for 18 years. And, uh, but that was the beginning of getting involved in California and realizing that it's on our watch, right? So if I sit back or you and I sit back and let everyone else do the work and assume other people are going to do the work, then what happens is if everybody assumes that, then it doesn't, then we don't elicit change because we think everyone else is going to do it or we're too busy or whatever. So it was one of those moments where it was such a significant crossroad that I realized um, I've got to not only do something, but I'm going to put, I'm going to put a lot of heart into this because I think we've got to do everything we can to protect the children. So that was, that was, that was the, and then the context with the car accident actually was yeah. really, really significant because from a health perspective, every time I went to the Capitol, I would crash for three, four, five days, maybe even an entire week because I'd put so much energy out mm -hmm. and my body wasn't able to sustain that yet. And there was another moment we were meeting with legislators. It was in the summer. And I told my husband, it doesn't matter if I have to sleep for four days or rest for four days. We have to keep doing this. We have to go up there. And I'll tell you this too, the healing, I usually don't share this, but I'm sharing this with you, but the healing that happened for my own body and the injuries mm -hmm. that I had at the time actually was expedited. The more I started to walk in a, in this, you know, purpose to protect children and, you know, we formed perk and all that, but it was just this interesting crossroad in our own personal life as well. Mm, so. so beautiful. It really, every, I mean, I have all these truth bumps because uh, I believe that each of us has a calling on our heart and when we align with it and we move forward, it can scare the bejesus out of us. <laughs> and yet there's this compelling force that keeps propelling us forward. Mm -hmm. And that's what I hear. And I'm so grateful. I actually only recently learned about your car accident. I was just mm -hmm 
stunned. I just, I was like, wow, what you've been through. And then Mike had some stuff and he's such a lovely, lovely man. And you two are so supportive of each other. It's very beautiful to, to watch. And I know how you feel about going up to Sacramento because I remember, I remember in 2015 and 2016 and going, you know, we made it kind of fun, but it was a caravan of, you know, SoCal um, activist leaders. And we, we went up and, you know, but walking into that hearing and, and, and also being up at the, at the Capitol, I mean, with SB 277, there were thousands, I mean, the, there was no space for the legislators to walk through the hall. And then when being in that hearing room and, and, and it, it seeing what they were saying, listening to the legislators not speak the truth and not listen to what was being said, you know, one legislator in, that we both know um, sat there and ate ice cream. I was just like, and, you know, I'm sitting there holding open eye vigil because I hadn't really been in, not even hadn't really, I had, had never been in politics. My whole world was, you know, spiritual and empowerment and, and a whole different educational variety of life. And so this was such a rude awakening. And I'm so grateful that you answered your call. Yeah, you know, and then I think too, Wendy, I was thinking about um, the outcome of some of the bills this year and some of the work we've been doing. And I honestly believe that the victories we're, we have today could not have existed without what all of the people, those thousand, you, all the people that started early on in 2015, being up at the Capitol, you know, many organizations um, were birthed out of 2015 and 2016 and on and on. And just like Perk was birthed during 2019. So, you know, the, whenever I think that we, um, whatever, we're all pioneering this work, that's what's happening. That early on, it took those thousands of parents that were up there to send that message because it will never be forgotten. We won't forget and history will remember that there were those parents up there mm-hmm. and those leaders that um, didn't let this just go by on their watch without doing something. So even if though we didn't have the victory then or yet, right. it laid the foundation for what we have today, right? Oh yeah. The, and before we got on, on, on camera, we were talking about the groundswell. Like for me, the, to observe, what happened this last legislative season was remarkable. It was just, I have the, the truth bumps again, you, with you and Perk and the other organizations that went up there and did grassroots lobbying, like literally there all the time, meeting with the legislators, talking with them. And I'm, and I'm gonna ask you to speak more about the, the particular bills and uh, because, you know, AB, 2098 is very concerning. Mm-hmm. And the victory with SP866 is due to you and Perk and the other organizations and people going up week after week after week. And you know, the groundswell of parents and citizens in California that called and met and you know emailed legislators and were like, this isn't okay. 
We're not going to settle for amendments. We want this gone. Yeah, you, I I know. I feel like cheering. And yeah, that's great. Thank <laughs> you for that. Thank you for that. And I love one of the things that I really appreciate about Perk and what you do is that your emails, I mean, your last email was so touching about the personal nature. And you do something I really believe in is that you help people know what they can do. Because throughout my experience in this movement and really in life, parents are so busy. They don't even know what's happening. You know, when I've talked to parents and I talk to them about SB 866 or AB 2098 or the litany of bills, and they just look at me, it's almost like their chins are hanging down and they're like, what? What's happening? And so you have the bite-sized calls to action. Do this, go here. And they're just so wonderful and clear. And so you and your team are exemplary. Oh, thank you so much for saying. And I, I do think that that is one of our strengths. My team is so good mm-hmm. at seeing what the issue is right now. And then together we create strategies that are bite-sized for people. Everyday people can actually do something. Yeah. So if we send a text or a link or, you know, we make it really easy. We've done a lot of the homework, like here's the legislator's email, here's the contact information, and here's what you can say. And I think that that's part, one part of what made such a difference this past year with all the bills that were defeated, um, because you know not only did everyday people know what they could do, but then I think that we reached into different industries that we haven't ever been in before with yeah. just medical freedom and choice and liberty. And you know, instead of it just being not just, but instead of parents being at the Capitol and it was only parents in two seven seven or two seven six you know, over these past few years, now we have an entire, you know, sheriff department and we have sheriffs themselves who are engaging with us in private meetings and mm-hmm. we have the healthcare, we have nurses and doctors and, um, you know, candidates and everyday people in all of these different industries, teachers who are being so impacted by lockdown, by mandates, by the vaccine mandate, um, all the stuff we're seeing And I think that there has been such a huge awakening that happened over the past two years, you know, from 2020 to 2022, where the people of California realized that they could do something when, you know, if liberty's on on the line or their children's rights are on the line or their rights are on the line, their jobs, all the things that were going to be impacted by these bills. I think that's what part of what made us um, victorious this time is all these people were awake that they could do something. And not only that they could do something, but then they did something. Then they responded to the calls to action. They sent out those letters. They made those phone calls. I mean, I can't tell you how many stories um, we have of people that we coached before they went into a key meeting with a Democrat, for example. And that Democrat was sitting on committees that literally stopped some of these bills from moving forward to even the next step. And that was because they were willing to do that meeting. They yeah. were willing to be mentored and coached by some of my amazing perk team. They then had the tenacity to go in there, speak for themselves to that legislator. And then the legislator for the first time actually listened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I, and I, I think the other thing that's happened that has made such a difference this time, Wendy, I, I think that 
during 2019 and 2015, even though there were thousands, it wasn't necessarily enough people that could change the political landscape, change their seat, the seat of those legislators going out and voting. And I think one thing that's happening now is that these legislators are realizing that the people have power. Yeah. And I mean that in a good way, that people are empowered, people have power, people are actually doing something in the masses. And now those legislators realize, we even have heard them say this, that they could lose their seat or not get voted into the next you know, career move they want if they don't align with people. So I think that that is so significant that um, the awakening combined with meeting and action is now resulting in those policy maker- makers paying attention mm-hmm. that if they don't listen to their constituents, they may not be in that seat anymore or mm-hmm. have the power or you know have decision-making abilities. So yeah. I think that's one part too. I think that's huge because as, as we've learned in, throughout this journey is that what goes on behind the scenes for the legislators and who's running the committee and what bills they want to get passed influence how they vote on a colleague's bill. Yet, especially with SB 866, it was was nonpartisan. It was everybody saying, wait a second, 12-year-old? And then it was a 15-year-old is going to make lifelong decisions without parents' consent, approval, or knowledge. I mean, it was just so stunning, as such a stunning overreach of power that, that I don't think these legislators could honestly do that and have their constituents support them. So will you speak about, because there have been victories mm-hmm. this past legislative season, will you speak about the bills that were defeated and then also speak about the bills that are still moving that will be readdressed in the next legislative season that are, um, that are re- I mean, I don't know if we know exactly what's going to be introduced, but also like AB 2098 mm-hmm. is, yes. is really, that, that to me, I- it's Horrible bill. <laughs> it's a horrible bill for the doctors and patients in California, but yes. Okay. So to start with, so um, the, some of the bills that we've defeated this year, and, and I, I will say this too, to you know, carry on with what you were saying, Wendy, the bipartisan effort and the reason why we're winning in conjunction with people taking action is because these issues have crossed political lines and any of the, de- the bills that we're talking about right now that have been defeated, it's because of the Democrats too. It's because of the Republicans and the Democrats and the independents saying, Oh, this is not going to move forward. And they're the ones in those committees early on at different stages that stopped the bills from moving forward. So we have a lot to be grateful for that it did transcend party lines. Um, even though sometimes, you know how it is, sometimes there is, uh, you know, sometimes we talk about the political, you know, this party is doing this and this party is doing that. But in order to defeat these bills, it had to be both uh, groups, you know, stopping it. So Um, So with that being said, so we had, so these are some of the victories this year. We defeated AB 1993, which would have caused all of the employees and contract workers in the state of California to be vaccinated and show proof of that. So that was a huge victory early on. I just like, these are amazing. (laughs) I'm so happy. Um, Another one was SB 871. 
So that bill we defeated, I think we got the news on that one in May. Uh, that one would have required children and babies. So everybody should know babies, you know, six month old to 17 year olds to get the COVID vaccine. And they were, that would be required for school, daycare, you name it. So it's basically a mandate. And then it was going to remove the personal belief exemption. So there'd be basically no exemptions, none, no exemptions, hardly any medical can be given anyways, no exemptions, no religious, no personal belief. And then it was going to allow the California Department of Public Health to add additional doses and additional vaccines to the schedule for zero to 17 year olds without any kind of due process, oversight, legislative approval, nothing. It would just be in California Department of Public Health. And the last component of that bill that was horrible uh, was um, it regardless of an EUA status. So even if something is emergency use authorized, not fully um, licensed or approved, that was, this bill was just, I mean, horrendous. it was horrendous. So that bill was defeated. And it was in May. I'm almost certain that we, we had defeated that in May. So that was a huge victory for parents, children, everyone. Another bill that was really significant this year defeated was um, SB 1464. So that was the one where law enforcement, they were going to be forced to enforce the health department orders. And if they didn't, they would lose their funding. So that was unconstitutional. I mean, first of all, that was an unconstitutional bill. Uh, and that I can tell you that my PERC team was so significant in defeating that particular one. We were on the phone with key people. Uh, we're talking the biggest unions in the state, sheriff, like all kinds of law enforcement. And literally there was a particular phone call um, I was on with a couple other people and we were doing a full court press. Someone else was calling this big union. I was on the phone with them and all of a sudden we got a hold of them with other key senators in that room and the bill was defeated literally in that moment. They called, they made a phone call, dead, dead. So what did you say? Can you speak? Because I know one of the things that we talked about is the defeat of SB 866 was a yeah. multi-prong yes. uh, effect. What, what was it that you and the senators said to these leaders of these organizations to have them stop and say, okay, wait, we don't wanna do this. That's a great question. So we did, we did, I think two to three things specifically with that bill. We alerted all of our first responders that we had on email chains, text groups, leaders from multiple counties about the bill. And then we said, this is the action we want you to take right now. Perk led that. We said, um, we want you to call your legislators, call the very specific committee right now. We had like a 48 hour call to action mm -hmm. and just put the masses of first responders, law enforcement on alert about the bill, including sheriffs and had them send their opposition in officially through the portal to the committee where the bill was at. Um, so I think that that was so important we, we called on everybody to take action with an alert and action. We also had one of my perk team members had just been at a um, private fundraiser for one of the sheriffs, Los Angeles County Sheriff. And so she, she alerted him in person about that bill and said, you need to know about this. And he didn't know about it. So being, you know, the biggest county in the state, we had, she, she actually reached out to him again. 
and had him send in an official letter of opposition to the committee. So the sheriff of the largest county in the state is sending in his opposition. This is all happening within about three days, by the way. Mm. <laughs> so three day, three to four day time period. Oh, and, and, you know, this was around the defeat, the mandate event as well, where mm-hmm. I can informed consent action network. They were so significant and pulling off the biggest protest, biggest event yeah, right. in California. And they were key in um, teaming up with us, us with them as well on even meeting the sheriff. So there were some things that happened that were just, gosh, so fortuitous. I was so grateful for them. Yeah, they're wonderful. The the sheriff sent an official letter. We then on, I think it was a Wednesday, we knew that was potentially coming to, going to be brought up for, you know, the committee to vote on. And so then I made a phone call. Um, We had, sorry, we had a meeting with about seven other organizations on a quick strategy call. And I asked for all of them to reach out to all their sheriffs, like right now to the the deadline was three o'clock. So we had one, two, there were four other groups and individuals reaching out to their personal sheriff to send in letters of opposition to, you know, call who they knew kind of thing. So there was this full court press thing that happened. And then I got on the phone call with um, one of the senators and his chief of staff had the phone number for the biggest union that represents police officers for the entire state. So really the phone call went like this. He called them. I'm literally on the line three-way and um, another person that was, was on that call too that had just introduced me to the senator and chief of staff. And the phone call was basically uh, so-and-so, you need to know that this bill is, is gonna be brought up right now. Um, this is what's happening. And the, the union didn't know about it. So like they didn't even know the bill was, was, I'm sure, you know, they would have, but at this particular juncture, them being made aware, literally they made a phone call. We, I mean, we really didn't do that much in that moment from our conversation. It was just making them aware that it was happening and that we needed their help. It was, we need your help. And this is what's happening. And that was it. And then they realized early on, you know, this is unconstitutional. They made a phone call and then the bill got killed. So, and withdrawn. So, I mean, it was as simple as a big SOS to everyone. Everyone took action within the law enforcement. We full court pressed to all the sheriffs and then got the biggest police union um, to then kill the bill. So it was, it was all those, there was about four strategies, I think, that killed that one. Love that. Yes. Amazing. (laughs) Yeah, it was amazing. It's just really so powerful. And what's interesting to me is that people were willing to stand for that, that they really got that it's unconstitutional because my experience uh, has been, there's so many uh, actions that have been taken that are unconstitutional. And yet the, the rhetoric is that this is to support the constitution. And I often have this this disconnect in my brain when I'll read something that someone says, this is the, and I'll think, but wait a minute, like, how is it, is it selective constitutional? So over here, this is constitutional, but over here, this isn't constitutional. Isn't the constitutional, isn't it across the board? Yeah, it, it, you're really, that's really true. Honestly, so many of these things are violating the constitution, yeah. violating civil rights, human rights, you name yes. it, Nuremberg. But I think what's the difference in certain moments like this is it was so blatant 
Yeah. And so clear and so obvious. And honestly, I think that they, they, the policymakers that were trying to put forward this law had to be alerted that they were going to lose in the courts like that. So mm. I think that there's an element of, you know, they don't want to be embarrassed that their law gets passed or does, you know, and then all of a sudden it gets overturned in the court. So somebody I think had to say, you do, you know, evaluating the, the constitutionality, constitutionality on it was so obvious that you can't, the legislative body cannot tell the executive branch what to do. That's why there's three branches of government, right? And so sheriffs operate in a different um, branch than the legislative body. And so they couldn't do that. I just, it was so obvious. I think that was part of the issue. So wonderful. And so uh, let's, let's go to SB 866. So Senator Weiner, uh, <laughs> where do you start about yeah. him? <laughs> like, oh boy. Yeah. So defeated, brilliantly, brilliant, brilliant, masterful work. And uh, do you anticipate that Weiner or Pan are going to, in the next legislative season, attempt to introduce, reintroduce this bill in some other fashion? 100%. I don't think there's even a question in my mind or my team's mind that this bill will come back in some form or another and more. You know, I I think that they're on, uh, they have an agenda. You know, let's be honest, there's a very clear agenda. Parents are not valued. They want parents out of the way and they want to vaccinate all the children COVID, with COVID, all of that with, you know, very recklessly, honestly. Um, and mm-hmm. I think that their agenda is very clear. They created the vaccine caucus up at the Capitol with, you know, the group of seven legislators that all the, the whole purpose of that caucus is to write vaccine legislation. So mm-hmm. I think that they will come back with either that, you know, SB 866 in some other form, change it, you know, because they lost. Um, and I think that the, some of the bills we defeated this season, we'll probably see again in some form or another next year. I think they'll try again. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just, it's just staggering to me because I, I, I pause and I, I, I go into strategy, my own, I, I'm, and I think about, Uh, strategy. And then I think about the genesis of this. And I think, what is really behind this? I do my best to stay out of conspiracy Mm -hmm. theory and because it's so diabolical. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think, what is, why, what's the push? What's the, what's the propelling force Mm -hmm. behind having everybody you know, shot up, like there's something beyond the, this is public health safety. And now with AB 2098, and I, I think now doctors were already threatened mm-hmm. because they're, they were threatened that if they did, wrote five or more uh, medical exemptions, they would be brought up for disciplinary action and lose their license. Uh, or potentially lose their license. And now AB 2098 puts a nail in the coffin of, of even more of the, the doctor-patient relationship. Now doctors you know, are going to really hold their tongues about what's happening, which I just really, again, I'm mystified at why the public 
but they don't know about it, I don't think, would would really allow something like this to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, I, there's so much to AB2098. And so just so people understand what it is, it's basically a, a, a bill that they've introduced to become a law that would discipline doctors with, you know, uh, take their medical license from them with, uh, based on what is deemed misinformation or disinformation if the doctor is treating patients contrary to what the CDC or government narrative is. So just so people have the baseline of what the bill is Mm -hmm. and really what the bill does in practical everyday, you know, just patient doctor relationships is it makes it illegal for a doctor to treat their patient. That's really what this bill does. It makes it illegal for them to treat their pa- the patient to their discretion, to the doc- what the doctor thinks is best. It makes it so that the doctor can't give to the patient you know, um, new treatments or ideas outside of whatever is considered the standard of care. And people need to understand the standard of care it takes 17 years. This has been an official study, you know, by the NIH and Institute of Medicine. It takes 17 years for the best practices and treatments and protocols that could be introduced on day one to actually make it to everyday doctors. It takes 17 years. That's a very long gap, right? And so doctors with this bill, they would be so restricted and it doesn't, the thing that's crazy, Wendy, is they, the bill doesn't even address the fact that there's already a doctor shortage in California. And I just saw a study yesterday because we sent a veto letter to Governor Newsom about this bill that there's going to be um, a shortage over the next 10 years for physicians specifically in California of like 4,000, you know, a shortage of 4,000 that they won't have enough doctors to actually treat patients in California. So what in the world is a bill like this going to do? It is only going to make that doctor shortage worse and contribute to less physicians being in California and less competent ones, mind you. Right. So the bill is just, it's so bad that it's getting national attention. Uh, Even though, I mean, come on, when the Washington post or the, you know, some of these I, you know, more, um, mainstream. Yeah. Mainstream. <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't know which word to use. Mainstream. Group uh, think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they start speaking out about it, you know, something's wrong with this. So it's a bad bill, bad bill for doctors, bad bill for patients. It, it punishes doctors for doing their job, yeah. you know, to give patients as many options as possible that could help them. It, it's just, it restricts that doctor from doing what they know is best for their patient. Absolutely. Do you think it gives CDPH more power though? Do you think that there's some, I mean, I'm really extrapolating here, but do you think that behind this is the idea that it will take whatever the protocol is out of the hands of a doctor and put it into the California Department of Public Health to administer by somebody, you know, and have somebody who's not educated, informed, steeped in uh, anatomy or chemistry or biochemistry uh, would be the ones making decisions for for children and adults? I think that's a great question. I think that it's more going to be giving power to the California Medical Board. 
So I think that the intent behind this bill, because we saw this happening across the entire country, there's a federal medical board association that has been trying to push literally this very disinformation, misinformation um, type of legislation in multiple states. So I think it's coming from a national level. Mm. And I think this is where we saw you know, Biden's administration try to come out with this disinformation board yes. and it, it didn't work, right? It got disbanded within three weeks because it was unconstitutional. You can't do that when it comes to free sp for speech for doctors. Yeah. However, I think that you see that this federal, you know, this national medical board is trying to push it through the states. And so what better state to listen to this type of extreme thing would then the California medical board and to initiate it through um, these legislators who are willing to do something like that. So I think it's less about the Department of Public Health personally and more about the medical board mm -hmm. trying to have a power play, a power move with doctors and specifically targeting doctors related to COVID treatments because the bill itself is centered in COVID treatments. It talks about COVID-19. So I think that we're talking about they're trying to legislate about ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, any of these types of treatments that doctors use to actually help um, patients, I think that that's their target and they're beefing up the medical board's um, power in California through this, you know, through this ridiculous law. That so, makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's my take. I mean, I, Governor Newsom still could veto the bill. I mean, we still will. You know, I'm going to tell you the truth. If yeah. he wants to run for president of the United States, which I think that those of us who are see the right, see the writing on the wall that he might want to, yeah. if he wants to run for president and he doesn't veto this bill, I think that he is going to have a very hard time reaching middle America and anybody that has anybody that's reasonable that he didn't veto bills like this. So mm -hmm. if he does veto the bill, I think it's also a sign that he wants to run for president. So, yeah. so it's, I, you know, I don't know. I hope he does the right thing. Uh, but he had dinners with the California Medical Association and these types of groups, uh, even during the pandemic. So I don't know. I, it's, without a mask. <laughs> without a mask. Yeah. Without a mask. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Wonder about that. That was, that was so fascinating. You know, uh, the whole, uh, that whole mask mandate and that whole, I, you know, to walk around, I still, I, I see people in their cars by themselves with masks on. I see people sitting at parks with masks on and parents with their little kids arguing with them to put them on. And as, as a, you know, a, a, as a parenting educator and mom coach, I, I just think, wow, these children are growing up without any sense that it's really unnatural to put a mask on your face to protect you from some invisible something that's splitting through the air. Mm -hmm. Oh, I couldn't agree more. It's raising a generation to be afraid of, of um, each other, to be afraid of everything around them, to not be socially interacting, eye contact, body language. I think it's doing, does a lot of damage. But um, I wondered, while we have still have a little bit of time left, can yes, we please. talk about how SB 866, like some of the key moments that- Please, yes. I was, as I was preparing for this-, this um, I would love that. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, I think that this will help people see 
that whenever you're up against these types of big bills and situations, it's not just a bill, it's something that would have impacted parents and children in everyday life. There has to be these critical crossroads that we walk into. And so I wanted to highlight just a couple of them. Go for it. Yeah. And how significant the effort was for everybody to defeat it. So um, early on, you know, the bill started with 12 year olds. So 12 year olds and above were going to be given the ability to consent to all vaccines without mom and dad permission or knowledge or parental consent. So the 12 year old age was the first age before they amended the bill. And so you have to think of this, that we had to kill the bill at that stage first before we could kill it again at the 15 year old age. And so what we did in the beginning was of course, everybody was alerted, you know, this, we got to send in these official opposition letters through the portal. Here's how you do it. So we had, there's so many organizations that submitted letters of opposition. And I think that was the very first push. Okay. Yes. And then what we did is um, there were two significant legal things. So number one, we teamed up with ICANN, Perk and ICANN teamed up together and formed Consent Action Network with their attorney, Aaron Siri, who mm-hmm. had just won yeah. in Washington, D.C., legal in, in the courts. He just won against a very similar minor consent bill in Washington, D.C., where it was 11-year-olds and up. So they had just defeated that and gotten the ruling in March, okay? And so now we have this California bill that's very similar, almost identical. And what we know is that it violates federal law. Just out of the gate, that bill violates federal law in multiple ways. And so when um, ICANN teamed up with PERC and brought in Aaron Siri so kindly, we, they sent, we sent a letter on behalf of both of our organizations to all of the legislators, all of the senators, all of the committees, and to Governor Newsom. So we made sure that they all knew with the official legal letter, they knew three things. One, that the bill, it's SB 6 was illegal. Number two, if they tried to pass it, we were prepared to work together and to sue them if they were to pass it. And number three, it told all those legislators that it, I think it, it gave them education about the legal nature of the bill, that it, it's, um, you, you don't want to be associated with something that's dead in the water and going to be over, overturned in the courts because you'll look kind of stupid to pass a bill that's illegal, right? So I think that that's part of what that significant moment did, and that was in May. So yeah. it was such a pivotal moment. Um, when we went up to the Capitol talking to legislators, they got the letter, you know, they referenced, we got the letter because, <laughs> because, uh, you know, I can, they sent it overnight. It was FedExed by the attorney's office. And so it was just such a significant moment to defeat the 12 year old age um, of the, the bill at that moment. And having such an amazing group as I can working with us in California, yeah. they're yeah. like the godfather, you know, it's like, <laughs> they're like the, you know, the big organization helping. So anyway, so that, that was an amazing, very significant moment. And then another crossroads, uh, I can tell you two other ones if we have time. Another really you important- have, You have the floor. You, okay. I, I'm so happy that you're here. So if we go past you know, noon, okay. it's fine. No okay, okay. So then another really significant moment was us being in person at the Capitol 
that was something where other groups did that too. And we're so grateful for that strategy because meeting face-to-face with these legislators and their Mm -hmm. staffers and their, you know, walking in the halls with them, we had these key conversations. And I'm going to tell you about a very significant moment. So we, um, we teamed up with Facts Law Truth Justice, Nicole Pearson, Attorney Nicole Pearson. And we literally, she and I went to the Capitol together several times together. We went there for several days. And what we did while we were at the Capitol is we created these, these folders, these red folders. Sometimes they were blue, but red and blue folders. <laughs> and they had a legal analysis of the bill. And it also had a copy of the 1986 Childhood um, Congress Act, where we were showing them this is what the bill violates. It violates this this literal this literal um, uh, law. And then we we did everything. We made it super easy for the legislature. We had it all in this packet for them to see. And what we did is we gave it to each of these legislators. And and their staffers to give to them. So we had these conversations and one of the trips to the Capitol, this is how significant it was. We knew it was significant. One of the trips to the Capitol, Nicole Pearson is on the plane with one of the Democrat assembly member, assembly woman. And that assembly member has our red folder in her hand. Okay. She is sitting next to Nicole, has the red folder, and she's reviewing it. And we knew that they were looking at this. And so now, not only is it, we know it's in their hands making a difference, but then Nicole Pearson gets, um, this was this was such a significant day, Wendy. Uh, I was flying up to the Capitol as well on behalf of Perk, and Nicole was meeting me there. So while she's in the Sacramento airport, she's sit, sitting with multiple legislators, literally decision makers. And she then, Nicole goes on an Instagram I was live. Just say she, yeah, yeah. she goes on an Instagram live and captures the public opposition and no from the legislator right there in that moment. And remember, this is a Democrat, okay? So she's a Democrat legislator. She's going live, probably wasn't, you know, maybe it was a little uncomfortable. She did it anyways with Nicole Pearson in that moment that she opposes SB 866. Well, guess what happens the rest of that day, um, Wendy? While we're at the Capitol, we then start to get other public no's from the Democrat legislators. So we now are hearing from Chris Holden, a Democrat. He's in, uh, he's in, um, passing with us in the hallway and he says I'm a no I'm you know I oppose this bill it's public and then we get um Chris O'Donnell he's really significant Chris O'Donnell now we're walking you know this is funny when you're at the Capitol and you're lobbying and you're just like with these people you're like chasing them down (laughs) while you're they're walking in the hallway or walking on the sidewalk like oh excuse me you know there's no (laughs) social etiquette anymore that completely goes out the window except I want to put a little uh, pin in that and say though we are very polite and civil. So anybody who's listening to this or watching this and and has read like Scott Wiener or Pan saying that people were aggressive, that is false. Totally false. Yes, thank you so much for saying that. We were very respectful. Every meeting we had, every interaction we had, we never yelled at them. We talked to them and we the social norms that we set aside were, like when you're in an elevator with someone and you know, exactly. anything, we yeah. then talked to them during that time, or we walked what with them to on the sidewalk, right. and, 
Yeah, that's what I meant. So thank it wasn't you. we it wasn't asking for permission. It was yes. seizing the moment yes. in, in a really effective way. Exactly. And yeah. so that particular day at the Capitol, there were so many in-person, face-to-face no's. So great. And, and so then we capitalized on that strategically. We did something that California has never done before, which was we po- publicly put those no's out there. So other organizations we were working with, they did the same thing. We had these memes that we put out there that publicly had the list of these no's. And why that matters is because we then gave every one of those Democrats who knew they didn't want to support this bill an opportunity to stand with their colleagues who were publicly saying they don't want this either. So it had a ripple effect, no doubt. Um, And I I think that, I think that at the core of this, Wendy, how and why did we defeat this bill? Because it came down to the wire, the very last day of legislative session, and, you know, they could have brought the bill up. And why we defeated it is because not only were these such significant crossroads, there were others, you know, there was one, there was one moment in June where I told my team, I said, we have to build this advocacy tool and I, we wanted something where every time somebody hit submit, it would actually send an email to more than just one legislator. So this particular tool allowed us to send hundreds of thousands of emails within days. And it was so significant, these, these moments, right? And yet, you know, here, I know, thank you so much for bringing me on as PERC. I'm, yes, I am the president of PERC. And I know I'm very confident in the work that my team did to defeat this bill. However, it wasn't just us. And it wasn't only PERC that defeated the bill. And it couldn't have been. We worked with ICANN. We worked with other organizations. We teamed up together. And, you know, you put out the calls to action. We had hundreds of organizations who signed the declaration of opposition at the very end and thousands of individuals. And why is that so significant? It's because that's what it took to defeat the bill. It wasn't just one group. It was every organization who did something. It was every person who took time to respond to an email, who sent a meme, who did a call to action, who went up to the Capitol on advocacy days, who talked to their legislator in their district office. It was every single one of those actions that had a synergistic accumulation that killed the bill in the beginning at the 12 year old age, and then killed it again at the 15 year old age where they tried to amend it. And overall, Wendy, we had, everybody was beating at the same drum, uh, those of us that were, for no amendments. That was such a strategic thing we did early on where my team and I said, no amendments. We are not gonna let this bill just be for a few children that it protects. It has to be something. We just kill this straight, you know, straight away. Front, you know, let's just let's just defeat it. Let's not try to add little this and little that because if you water down something that's not right and you know encroaches on parental rights, um, that sacred relationship. How do you justify that with amendments? You can't, it has to be just, we kill the bill. We hit it full, you know, full steam ahead. And I, that's what it took is everybody doing this together. Um, and, and not when I say together, you know, everybody has their own identity as organizations and pe- people can keep that. There's no problem with it. It's just that every action 
is what did this. And that's why this victory is all of ours. It's from 2015. It's you guys being up at the Capitol early on. It's 2019. It's those that have left California because of these issues who did something early on and, you know, those earlier years that laid a groundwork for Perk to be born and, you know, the awakening that happened. So I'm just, I am so grateful. I'm just besides myself grateful for this victory that we all had. We all share in it because it took all of us to do this. And that's genuinely, that's what's in my heart. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, really, I mean, thank you for creating that container so we could all come forward. And, uh, and the, what speaks to me about the victory is how we all pulled together. And that even with each unique uh, identity of the organization and the style of communication, there was a unified agreement that this was gonna die. This was not, we weren't gonna settle for, like you said, um, you, you, you know, you don't water down bad and say that's okay. You no. just say, you know, we're not gonna use this, it's just not okay. So, mm-hmm. so I'm very grateful to you and Perk and the other organizations and grateful um, that we were able to do that. And so what is next? What can you tell people that are listening, watching? What, you know, how can they reach you? What is next? And also mm-hmm. what's really important uh, for me to just share with people listening is that you do make a difference. I've, re- you know, I received calls so many times. I don't know what I can do. I don't know. And the truth is what Perk laid out with the other organizations, it, it, it matters when you share what you feel, what you think with your constituent, with your neighbor, with the clerk down the street, with the person at the gas station. You know, I mean, it matters when you engage in a dialogue. Did you know? Do you know? Here's what you can do. So what can people do going forward? Yeah, I I think, okay, so there's three things that come to mind. Number one is don't get caught up in those typical labels that divide us, right? Don't jump into us and have assumptions of because they're a Democrat or because they're a Republican or because they're um, white or, you know, gay, whatever the thing is that typically divides us, these issues transcend all of that. So Republican, Democrat, different walks of life, you know, faith leaders of all types of background, um, spiritual leaders, you name the thing that usually gives us a label. And that's one of the things I would reiterate is it takes us transcending that to build relationships with people, legislators, neighbors, like you said, um, that we don't make that assumption. They're not going to listen just because of some title or or label we want to give them. Instead, we look, look for the ways to transcend that because these issues, I will tell you, Wendy, I've believed this for a very long time that in order for us to have the victories across the entire country and to keep winning, it can't be the Republicans this and the Democrats that. It has Absolutely. to be transcending that. Um, we need the Democrats. We cannot alienate them and say, that they are going to all do this or do that. Well, actually, they have been significant in defeating some of these bills in California. We need them. And it's not a but, it's an and we need the Republicans and we need the independents. We need the libertarians. We need everybody to be showing up. So 
I would say, number one, let's transcend those typical um, labels and make sure we're, we're, we are having those conversations. Number two, what can we do? People can definitely follow PERC. We put out lots, as you know, lots of calls to action. I think part of our role is to be a leader. We don't do everything. We have lots of other organizations of people who are doing it with us, but we are leading and we are confident that the strategies that we're coming up with, they are synergistic with people taking action with the things we think people, people should take action with, right? At certain moments. So people can follow us on our uh, website, Instagram. So it's perk-group.com. That's our website. I would say sign up for our text alerts. They're very action oriented. It's not yeah. just, um, you know, it's like we're saying, hey, call this person right now, email, do take this action. So our text alerts are really good. And then uh, on social media, we put out actions through social media. Our newsletters have a lot of calls to action in that. So I would say sign up for the newsletter, the text alert. On social media, people do need to know that we are being, we are being censored. Yeah. <laughs> the, the moment we came out with those public no's several months ago up at the Capitol, we, I did an Instagram live as well. And we just talked to the Senator and this legislator, those what's happening is perk is being censored so you have to you the only way you can really hear from us is through our email and our text right now uh people can't tag us on social media it, you know they're, they're they're shadow banning and censoring us and paypal decided to delete our business account with them so you know they're trying to cut up our financials and our communication with people so people need to understand if they're doing that with us, we are the very type of organization people need to be connected with because we're doing something that makes them want to <laughs> shut off our finances and shut off our communication. So find, um, so those are some things. And then the third thing I was going to say to you um, is everybody can do something, you know? So I know we, people get really busy in life and busy with work and family and, you know, whatever's going on. But if I can have had a car accident and still go up to the Capitol and still try to walk a path when there are times, I couldn't, I couldn't do this before, Wendy. I couldn't have conversations that my brain would get too tired. Yeah. I couldn't write out emails. I literally couldn't do those things. I had to do them in little five-minute increments, 10-minute 30 minutes until I could build up. And my point is we can all do something wherever we're at in whatever situations we're in. And so I don't think we need to be afraid of this fight. I think we need to face it head on with courage and with tenacity and persistency and be, be willing. Um, we thought outside the box this year, we did a lot of things very different with multiple strategies. And it wasn't that just one thing worked. It was that one thing plus everything, all of these different multiple strategies, it all worked. Right. So I'm just so grateful for people. And thank you so much for, um, thank you for having me on and for talking to me. It's been such an enjoyable conversation. Oh, well, I'm so glad that we were able to carve out this time together and I'm so appreciative of you. I'm, I've been a fan and I will continue to support you and Perk. And I invite everyone to go to perk-group.com.com yes. and, uh, and also to follow on social media with all of the, with all of the shadow banning and all the things that are happening with censorship. And uh, 
and stay connected and know that you matter and that your voice matters. And even if it's just hitting click or send on your keyboard or on your phone, that that makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. So we have, um, we have Amy Bond and Perk uh, in leadership position in the state of California with other organizations that are here. ICANN is phenomenal. It's such a wonderful organization. So Amy, thank you for thank being you, here Amy. with us. Thank you. I really have enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, my pleasure. And thank you everyone for following us and for going to all of our different channels and subscribing. I am Reverend Wendy Silvers. This is the Awakened Mother podcast. You can reach me on Instagram at Wendy Silvers or at Million Mamas, M-A-M-A-S movement. And you can reach out to me directly. And that is hello at wendysilvers.com. That goes to my assistant and I will respond to your messages. And we have lots going on um, and we will keep you informed and educated so that you can take action that makes a difference because we need you. And uh, Amy, I'm just so grateful for you. Thank you again for being here. And uh, I will speak with you soon for sure. Thank you, Wendy. Thank you. Thanks.